Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Hey, how's it going? I'm Sukyin, hanging out on Queen Street in front of the Shum City building. You might be wondering why I'm over here when in fact the crowd is over there. Hey! If you grew up in the 80s, 90s, or early 2000s, like me, you likely devoted a lot of screen time to MTV, Much Music, Music Plus, or CMT. But just over a decade ago, with the audience shift to platforms like YouTube and Vivo, terrestrial broadcasting moved away from music video television. Music Plus has since rebranded, while CMT Canada and Much have embraced scripted content. Much now plays just a single one-hour block of music videos Monday to Friday. So when Stingray announced it was once again expanding its lineup of music video channels with the launch of Stingray Country, I jumped at the opportunity to talk to Patrick Binette, Stingray's Director of Content and Programming. Binette, who has deep roots in the industry, going all the way back to a part-time record store gig, is a former Director of Music Programming at Music Plus. Among other things, we talk strategy and why he credits giving programmers a wide berth for some of Stingray's success. So, Patrick, I want to start by talking about your journey through this business, going all the way back to your origins of your love affair with music. <laughs> I thought we only it was only a 10 minutes interview. You're going to need an hour. I started in the music business in the 90s, actually work, working in record stores. I was studying cinema and then and was looking for a cool job downtown Montreal and got hired at HMV. So I worked there for a couple of years, went to work into the music video industry, then uh, ended up at Music Plus or, or uh, local uh, much music at the time, but at the time they were playing videos, so that's a long time ago. Worked there for a couple of years, went to do promotion and marketing for labels, a A&M, Universal, and back to Music Plus a second time as a music director for about 10 years. Uh, that's uh, like in the early 2000, and uh, Stingray finally for 10 years, for the last 10 years uh, as the music director also. And, director of programming so it's it's been a journey of a couple of years through almost three decades and uh you know journey to like working in a music business but always also being a music fan at the same time and going to see shows almost every night and and listening to a lot of music you were there at the genesis of stingray venturing into music video content tell us how that came about it started with Especially at that time that the MTV, the Much Music, stopped uh, playing video or reduced their video programming a lot. That was in 2009, uh, exactly. And uh, some of our partners, cable operators mainly, were looking into offering music videos in a new way. They had heard about YouTube and that a lot of people were now going about to that weird internet thing called YouTube to watch music videos and they say, oh, we want people to come on our on-demand platform to watch videos now that there's no more videos on the music channels. Or can you build that for us? So, so I came in uh, with Stinger in 2009 and uh, started building an on-demand 
offer of the best music videos available out there, going to different labels and say, oh, I need this one and I need this one and doing some curation, putting putting offers, putting playlists together for different cable operators in Canada. And that on-demand offers, that expanded all over Canada, then in the U.S. with some partners in the U.S., also and in, in Latin America. And um, that's three or four years ago, we say, yeah, we're doing pretty good with music videos. There's still interest for music video. That's great. Why we're not going one notch further? And at, at that time, Much Music wanted to get rid of their, some of their music video channels, uh, loud and retro and vibe at that time. So we uh, staying ready to acquire these cha- channels and relaunch them. And since then, that we started with four from Much Music, but we are we have uh, almost I think ten right now in our portfolio, including uh, like six available in Canada, seven available in Canada. This is an interesting evolution because your music video channel offerings continue to increase at a time when most traditional or terrestrial broadcasters have moved away from that format because of the online competition like YouTube and Vivo, which is now available right in the interface of a lot of smart TVs. I'm interested in what Stingray's strategy is and and who that audience is that you're finding. Uh, our, our strategy is really the curation. We thought and always thought that, you know, that we come from the, the, those channels on TV, music channels on TV that at some point, Everybody's asking who's listening to music in, uh, on TV, and we realize there's a lot, actually, a lot of music uh, people listening to music on on TV. So we know that we knew that curation can could make a difference. So for us, it was just a natural way to say, what's the next step? And and music video could be music video channels could be an enhanced version of those uh, music channels we have on TV because there's there's also the visuals that goes with it. My strategy on a programming. Um, side was, uh, yes, it's different experience. People go on YouTube or on Vivo mainly because they heard that, oh, there's a new Taylor Swift video. There's a new Pearl Jam video. I want to see it now. So they go and they watch it on a platform. But then maybe they'll start a playlist or they'll start something else and they're not happy with what they're getting because they're not happy with the curation. So on our side, it was like there's two, three generation of, pe- of people that really grow up they grew up with music videos. I Me, mean, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. When I hear a song, I don't remember the, just a song. I remember the videos that goes uh, with it because the first time I heard about U2 or Guns N' Roses or uh, Brian Adams and Tragically Hip, it's because I saw the video on MTV or Much Music or Music Plus. So every time I hear now uh, a Tragically Hip song on a radio, I instantly see the video uh, on, on the radio. I see the video in my head. That's my connection. That's my connection to music. It's music video. So I said, there's there's two or three generation of people in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s that their relation to music is with music videos. But they probably forgot about all, all, you know, half of the bands they like, all half of the songs they they like to dance on or they like to listen to and play in their car. Uh, and all those videos that they discover through through music TV, you know, we need to bring them back and curate them and 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 offer that back to them so they they can just tune in and say, oh yeah, I remember that 
that that video it was amazing uh, uh or you know who sings that again and they hear a song suddenly and they'll pay attention say oh i didn't remember it was that artist i didn't remember madonna had that haircut in for that song i didn't remember ryan adams was was dressed like that in that video there's there's emotions there's there's memories of these images but people half of the time you know they they're trusting us to to bring back those those souvenirs and, and and images that that they grew up with. Stingray has previously released fairly significant user growth stats in the past few years for some of its channels. Considering all of that competition for screen time, what are the latest numbers that you can talk about and what kind of insight has that given you? Yeah, you know, if I'm taking, for example, just our, our most popular one being Stingray Retro. Stingray Retro plays uh, music from the, the 90s, uh, 80s, 90s, and the early 2000s, because early 2000s is already uh, a nostalgia. And that, that there's like 600,000 people that tunes in that, that music video channels every week. That's like for over half a million hours. You know, our country channel, we just launched a couple of weeks ago already, you know, there's already like a quarter million people watching and watching it every week and it's just launched. It's still, it's still, you know, onboarding. It's still new for, to a lot of people. And there, there, it's already, there's already connecting people. There's already people interested in, in it. So yeah, we, we or these channels, uh, there's, there's an audience for, for them for sure. So does that tell you that maybe it was a misstep for some of the big terrestrial broadcast networks to give up on music videos? Um, maybe they gave up too quick. I understand that those videos at some point, and I work, I work at some of the channels for, for a couple of months. Also, they went, they were doing a lot of production. Uh, they went into acquisition also of content and, and started to play a TV series. And those are really costly. So at, at some point, maybe, um, you know, I don't know if it's a mistake, but maybe it was not a good fit for their business model anymore because if you just own one or two ch- channel and some music video channel and it's difficult to make money with it, that's a different case. In our case, we're expert in music and in a music product. And music videos are part of a, of a portfolio, but we have music apps, we have karaoke apps, we have concert apps and concert channels. So may, I, I guess for us, it's easier to find uh, really good and creative ways to put together ch- those channels with the team we have in place and without you know, the, the big production uh, scale and the big acquisition uh, budget they add. So I don't know. I don't know if it's really a mistake, but um, you know, it's, it was for sure a good thing for us because it allowed us to jump in that and uh, take advantage of that. When we're talking about the heyday of music video television, a lot of the draw of what Music Plus and Much Music used to do was about connection, being the connection between the fans and the artists, the connection to the hosts, the connection to culture. Do you foresee a time when Stingray would introduce hosts? I don't think so. That's not the plan for now, to be honest. Uh, I, you're really right with the connection, but for me, the main thing is the connection with the artist or the visual or the imagery that the artist proposes in their videos. That That's still there. And a lot of people connect with 
Billie Eilish because they like what they see, the, the, like the image of her in music videos. Something, same thing with Lady Gaga a couple of years ago or Lana Del Rey. Uh, and something with a lot of these country artists, you know, the, the, the imagery uh, that they, um, they propose and the lifestyle they propose in the video, people connect with, with that. For me, I, I want it to stay like a music experience. I don't want it to be an, ex, an experience that is interrupted by a host every two or three videos. I, I feel people now, they just want some to, to have a music experience where there's videos, they keep an eye on it, and they're like surprised by what's playing or it brings back nostalgia. So that's always is not is not part of the plan at the moment. We'll integrate some interviews. We're playing concerts already, uh, artist bios. So yeah, we'll we'll go larger than just music videos, but uh, live hosts um, not not part of the plan at the moment. You oversee about a hundred programmers at last count, I think. How many channels are now in the Stingray portfolio and? in this multi-platform global terrain that we're in what what drives your program decisions <laughs> and that and that my program division doesn't even involve that or radio side which is another hundred channels and a hundred mm-hmm. programmers but just on my side we're talking like I said, like 10 music video channels, 400 full like radio channels on TV or music channels on TV, something like Hit List, for example, or Hot Country, that are channels really, uh, really well known in Canada with millions of people uh, listen, uh, tuning in every, uh, every week. And then we have a music app that has thousands of playlists and channels that are curated on a regular basis. And couple of apps with that, like a, a concert apps, uh, a three concert app, you know, one pop rock concert, one classical, and then a jazz, uh, not an app, but a jazz concert channel also. So that's, it's, it's a lot. It's like product side, I'd say, if we if we just go on a, on a channel, that's a, a bit over 400. The music channel, video channels, and concert cha- uh, channels all together, that's over 400 worldwide at the moment. So what is driving those program decisions? I know you're kind of a punk rock guy, Patrick. Is there still room to exercise those punk rock sensibilities in really setting a bar for taste making amidst the pressures of driving traffic and clicks? Um, no, we don't, we don't have that pressure yet. Uh, you know, for now it's, it's more the pressure of picking the right songs, but no, no, we don't, we don't feel a pressure at the moment of the, the click pressure of the, or the streaming pressure. It's more really like picking the right song and pleasing the crowd and make sure that they'll say, okay, I'll listen to another one, another one, another one, and at the end, listen to hours and hours of our programming. Uh, The curators are pretty free. You know, we don't do music committee for everything. I give them guidelines uh, for their channels, but I make sure to pick experts that know, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been in the business or they're just fans of that genre music. They're from all places, all countries, all ages go from, you know, we, we have one in New York that is 17 years old and we have uh, one guy here in Montreal, which is uh, 70 years old. So for me, if they live through an era and they like the music of that era and they, 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 they're emotionally attached to that, and but that's great. They'll, they'll, do a, they'll do great programmers. That's a rare thing now to allow your programmers that unabated freedom. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. It's rare, but uh, I think, you know, they understand there's a freedom. They want, like I said, they want to please their audience. So they they, they, they still uh, put themselves, I give them guidelines, they, they put themselves guidelines, but for sure it's a, it's a rare thing to be able to say, oh, I feel that that song would be great on my channel and I don't have to ask the permission. I don't have to test it. Uh, I'll just try it. And if I think that after a couple of weeks, I, I feel that finally it was not a good idea, I'll remove it. And if if I feel that it fits great with the flow of music, I'll keep it there for a couple of months or a couple of years. Yeah, it's a rare um, it's a rare tip for sure. And I think that, that's why, I think that's part of our, our success also that the programmers have a lot of freedom. Thanks so much for joining us. It's a pleasure. Anytime. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.